Hello and welcome to the Missing Peace Podcast. I'm your host Becca and here we talk about everything related to how we can reconnect to ourselves to live the life we truly want. I am passionate about helping people come back to themselves, feel comfortable in their own skin and find inner peace, freedom and fulfillment. I hope that listening to this podcast can inspire you to start your own journey to find the missing peace within. Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I hope this finds you well. I have a, another beautiful guest on the show today and this is Gavin Clark and you'll see as you go through this podcast that it's got a different style compared to the other ones. It's not necessarily a kind of um, question by question type approach. It's really about Gavin sharing the journey that he has been on through grief, through bullying, through mental illness and really the, the power is in his story and you know, he is here to now share openly and vulnerably something that he probably didn't do for a very long period of time, but he's doing it now to help other people to ensure that they don't get to where he got to in his life and the way other people got to in his life as well. So really just sit back and enjoy this one. He's got such a soothing voice as well. So yeah, <laughs> it's a really good one. I maybe should convince him to do some sort of sleep stories or sleep meditations. Mm, I, I think that's that's my next project. <laughs> but um, And we had some technical difficulties. So rather than recording on the app that I prefer, which is Zencaster, and you can edit audio separately. And thank you everyone for your grace in helping, well, not helping me so much, but like supporting me whilst I'm working out uh I guess editing audio but in this case we had to use zoom and, and that means it's a bit more difficult to kind of edit out glitches and um, to edit the audio separately so hopefully it's okay um, for you all and you get the message anyways which I'm sure you will and just before we start I just wanted to say that well my one-on-one -on -one coaching free coaching calls will end Monday the 28th so I guess if you really wanted and have the time for a last minute booking in you can book in then for Monday and really this is about helping people reconnect to themselves and you know if you're feeling lost directionless maybe you're feeling like you lack purpose and you just need some more balance and alignment in your life then book in for a free call there and then from then on what am I doing so I've got this Sunday I've got a journal and meditation live on Instagram which I'm going to look to do a little bit more and also in the Facebook group, The Missing Peace Community, all of this will be linked below, but I'm going to be going more regularly live in there with different trainings and covering different topics. So if you'd like to continue following along, then um, please check out the show notes below. And uh, yeah, let's get into the podcast. Well, hello, Gavin. Welcome to the podcast. You're our first male guest on the podcast, which is exciting. So thank you very much for being here. What a privilege to be the first male guest. That's amazing. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so On welcome. Exceptionally windy day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Gavin, for everybody um, who's listening, is down south whilst I'm up north. And uh, I think we're experiencing a little bit of different weather, but uh, hopefully technology holds out better than it has done at the start of this whole podcast uh, charade, which I'll, um, I'll explain all in the introduction. Um, but to get started, Gavin, could you just share a little bit about your journey? I guess how you've got to where you are now and, and what it is that you're that you're about? Yeah, of course. So I guess the highlights first. So I'm mid thirties, young family, got a got a young son, four years old. Um, and if you looked at my life, you'd think that it was amazing. Um, you know, I've got a lovely house, lovely cars, um, all the kind of things that you could could want for really um a good job 
um, and kind of well respected in that as well. But then actually, if you start to delve a bit deeper, there is a lot of things that have gone on through um, my life um, that up until really the last year um, or so, I didn't talk about. And a lot of that was down to when I was a youngster. Um, so I was born in Dundee. So I'm, I'm Scottish by, by birth and by heritage um, and proud of it, particularly after we won the rugby the other week. Um, <laughs> gotta love Scotland. Yeah, yeah, gotta love it. Um, but we, so yeah, I was born in, born in Dundee and you know, it was a nice little life up there. Uh, I think we moved down here when I was about four years old. Um, there's a couple of things that you should know about me. One is that I was born with a lower limb condition. Um, so it's something called uh, talipes equinivorous, um, and it was bilateral, so both feet. The short version of that is that it's called club feet. <laughs> um, and basically what that means is that your feet uh, don't expand properly. So the bones in my ankles um, are, are different uh, and the structure of my lower lower legs is different to to a normal person and yeah that was uh, that was diff more difficult for my parents than it was for me because I was a baby so I, I don't remember the surgeries and the physio but the story that they tell me was that it was pretty pretty horrific at times them up to straighten out my limbs and all that sort of stuff um and that was kind of just a normal thing for me when I was born um and a normal thing for me when I, when I was in Scotland um and then we moved down to down to England so we're in the Midlands now um and have been for 30 odd years um and then everything kind of changed a bit and part of that was, I think, that I was Scottish and had a very sweet Dundonian accent, um, or at least that's what I was told. Um, and I think part of it was that actually by that age, you could start to see a difference in my lower legs compared to others. And about five years, six years old was my first experience of being bullied um, and bullied quite badly and it's a bizarre thing when you're that young because I didn't tell anybody about it I just kind of yeah you you would now describe it as banter and banter is my least favorite uh word um <laughs> there's certain things that I would call people that use it um now but not when I was five years old and it, yeah, there was things like being called a, uh, a a spastic because my legs were different. So noticeably, my calves are a lot shorter than somebody else's would be. And then you know they threw that in, and then it was then oh well, you're Scottish, so we'll pick on you for that, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that went on for certainly all of my younger years so um through first and middle school um 
and even to be honest through high school to to a certain extent um and it forms who you are and it's only in the last year or so in fact for really it's only in the last six months that i've come to realize how much of an impact that's had on me because what i didn't realize was that framed my way of thinking and it framed my way of thinking right up through my entire life um and you know i I kind of grew up and and i suddenly bulked out and became a kind of big rugby player lad and and uh you know whilst the bullying carried on um i gave as good as i got and it slowly petered off um but it kind of stayed with me and you know i don't know my childhood was lovely my parents were amazing really supportive um but when i was 15 um i think everything had gotten to the point where it was all a bit too a bit too much over too long a period um and my gran um who i loved dearly uh she fairly quickly uh passed away and it was you know, she went from being this this very stout glaswegian lady um who used to run pubs in glasgow uh, and for for, a, for anyone that knows glasgow back in what would have been the 60s 70s there were some rougher areas and they were <laughs> and yeah my gran was known for throwing people out um she was only five foot something um but she was just one of those people that you just she was the most loving person but at the same time um she would uh she would tell you what's what um so yes so so she she died um that was my first experience proper experience with um with death and with grief but at that time I didn't I didn't know that because I mean you know we, we're all growing up and so we we know those years are difficult years actually looking back at it and you know I, I kind of grew up in the in the time of you know computers coming into schools and 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 these things and and probably the early ages of, of people being able to to pick on you for a softer term but bullying you um, for a harder one not just at school but also after and outside of it and just after my grand died um i burst out into tears in class and it was something really 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 silly um it was that i hadn't done my i'd forgotten to do my homework because my grand was just you know I'd, she just died um and my head was not <laughs> not in the frame of doing maths homework and i just genuinely forgot and i was trying to then explain it to the teacher and just suddenly started crying and it was a class full of so it was a public high school but it was a class full of um of boys so we they split out um only maths actually but they split out boys and girls into separate separate classes uh allegedly to improve 
um, output. Not sure I agree with that one, but um, it's it's what they were trialing anyway. So it was a class full of of testosterone fueled um, teenagers, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't really live that down for for quite quite a few years. And a few months later, um, so a few months later, my friend uh, was turning 16. Um, and we um, we had a had a birthday party. It's outside in the garage. It's the only one. There's only one in there, Sars. <laughs> Sorry for that. That's okay. <laughs> real life. These are the things. These are the things that happen in real life when you're at home. Um, so yeah, so um, it's my friend's birthday party, 16th, and we he had a party afterwards. And I think we'd done paintballing during the day, and it was then um, his party at night. And I'd never really gone to any of these kind of parties where there was drink involved mainly to be honest because I didn't want to risk it I'd never drunk before really although I was I'm sure saying that I had done and being you know they were showing bravado and all that sort of stuff because you do at that age um and my my night went from bad to worse quite quickly and i just seem to be fueled with uh whiskey and and all sorts of things and a suspected um spiking of my um of my drink and i ended up in hospital um and having a bit of a breakdown really in hospital to the extent that I text my dad um, and I text him saying that I was going to kill myself. Um, and I then tried to. And I tell that part of my story not to kind of, not as some people think, to, to the shock. Um, and to many, it would be a shock. But because actually when you're that age, and when you've been through about a decade's worth of bullying, look, I'm sure there were times where I was not the most kind to, to others um, so I'm, I'm sure I'm not an innocent party um, but it'd been a lot and then you have a, an event where someone that you love dearly dies if you haven't got the tools at that point in your life to deal with that it's a really dangerous time and for me that was very nearly about as dangerous as it can get fortunately um obviously um that didn't um 
that didn't work. Um, and you know, life kind of went went on, to be honest. We didn't really talk about it as a family. And yeah, I, I did see a doctor at that point, but this is, you know, this is like 20 years ago. And it was just teenage angst is what they is what they put it down to. Um, but in that moment, I was completely serious um, about what I wanted to do and that I didn't want to be around anymore. Um, I think one of the one of the interesting things in that is that I never wanted to die. I just didn't want to exist. And I think that's something that for a lot of people is difficult to get your head around that somebody dying by suicide. And I think that language is really important that is dying by suicide, not killing yourself or not committing suicide. And in particular that committing suicide, it's, it's, you know, you're not doing it willfully, although it may appear to be, um, and you're doing it because you don't see another option. So in that scenario, I didn't see any other option of why I would be a bird, why I wouldn't not be around and not exist anymore. Because by being around, I was a burden. That was how I saw it. The reality was that I wasn't. And obviously I know that now. <laughs> but back then I didn't. And that really was the first time that looking back that I was going through a period of, of depression um, and obviously quite severe depression. And, you know, I kind of muddled through the years and I, I did the, the minimum to, to get, get by and I was, I was a pretty able student. So I should have been getting, I was predicted really good grades and all that sort of stuff, but I got okay grades. You know, I didn't fail anything, but kind of passed and got by. Um, how are you sort of feeling? Really... How, sorry, how are you sort of feeling during that time after you've had this, um, you know, you've been through this situation of, of feeling like you, um, you know, death by suicide, like you, so, you know, the way you explained there, which I think is really powerful, but how did you, then just kind of continue what did life feel like then so for me it was it was akin to how i would imagine it feels like somebody that came out as gay and then went back into the closet as we would as we would phrase it and that's kind of what happened um i, I didn't come out as gay because I'm, I'm i'm not i'm happily married and, and all that sort of stuff but um I spoke about it at the very narrowest level. Didn't really understand what was going on. And I now again know, looking back, that what I actually did was put it into a box in my head, shut that box, tape it up, cover it with cement, <laughs> put it at the bottom of the, at the, bottom of the ocean and, and, <laughs> and kind of left it. Yeah. Um, or at least that's what I was trying to do because 
one of the things that you commonly see with somebody that's been bullied is that you've built up certain defense mechanisms. Um, and one of those things is to compartmentalize. So you become very adept at separating out any form of emotion. Yeah, and that's what, what, I, what I did. Um, and literally just took that emotion and put it away. And to a certain extent, that was that can be okay for a really short period of time to get you through something. But, and it's a really big but, it just leads to more trouble. Um, and by not dealing with any um, trauma, that's what that was, and that's what the bullying was, but by not dealing with that, what I was then doing is storing up things and just never dealing with anything. So on the face of it, um, there's only a f few people that knew at the time um, kind of where my head was at. And even my brothers don't know the full extent of where my head was at. Um, and I just locked it away and just put a face on. And it was, it was as if putting a mask on and putting this outward image of somebody that was happy to a certain extent, but was a really sporty person that was just going to get on with life. And you know, this is at a time when, even though I was told by a doctor I would never be able to play rugby, I then went out and played really good rugby. I was told I wouldn't be able to play tennis. And then I went out and became really good at tennis. Um, and basketball and football and cricket, badminton, etc. So I just threw myself into a whole host of different activities that meant that I didn't need to think about it. And it actually got to a point where I didn't remember doing it that's how compartmentalized it became for me that i separated it so far from my my normal life um, and created this mask outwardly that actually it kind of became my inward mask too and you know it kind of taped over all of the cracks and you know, I'd, I'd tell myself stories internally um, over the years when those cracks started to reemerge um, to, to kind of, again, push back at that wall of emotion that was hidden away. Um, and that's not to say that other people wouldn't see me showing emotion. It's just that that emotion was kind of fake or at least it wasn't as core to who I was as all this stuff that I'd locked away and I think part of that is you know when you've lost somebody and particularly particularly at a young age because you know, you know I, I know people that have still got their grandparents um, and they're 
than my age. Um, and I find that an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Same for me. I don't have grandparents anymore, but yes, yeah, yeah. I do. And I find it, it, yeah, it blows my mind. <laughs> it's it, so it's, long ago, wasn't it? it? it it's, it's, it's a bizarre thing for me to see somebody with a grandparent. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that has an impact on you. And if you don't deal with that, which is what I did, I didn't deal with it. Um, at some point, that's going to come out. And yeah, you know, I I did well enough to go off to university, and I I I studied history of all things. Um, I don't know why I did history. I think it's because I thought it was going to be easy. Um, and I know why I selected my university. Um, it was because of two reasons. One, because there was a, a a ratio of six to one females to males, and that was something that sounded like a good place to go. <laughs> I actually, I actually went and I had a girlfriend in the end, so it didn't even make any difference. Um, well, I, I, yeah, well, I, I tend to, I tend to have better friendships with girls anyway um, than than boys. I'm not that kind of. Although I, I have tried to be over the years who i am isn't that bravado male masculine or what we would stereotypically think of of the masculine man that's just not who i am even though i've been a rugby boy and all that sort of stuff like yeah that's that's great and you know i've done martial arts and and different things and that's all good fun um but that it's a kind of separate part um a separate part to me um so yeah so you know i did university um didn't do that well um and that was for a couple of reasons one unfortunately the group of friends that i was with um that seemed to be kind of cool that friendship group grew and there were a few people that i just didn't I don't know why I didn't get on with them at the time I do now and it was because they're kind of who they were and who I really was were just two very very different people and the things they were doing were going against my own values um, and as we all know going against your values is a recipe to, to disaster um, particularly if you don't even know what your values are at the time um, or you are trying to trying to put an image that they're not that you're not a just a nice guy that's fundamentally who i try and be but back then it was more of a bravado thing of you know drinking and going out and all that sort of stuff um and the kind of bullying stuff came back up again um and my second experience with um with death came about um so my uncle who i was always compared to more looks and kind of physique wise than anything else because he was a bit of a he was a bit more of a lad than i than i ever was um and he was much more troublesome than i ever was uh, <laughs> um but he he had he'd been ill for probably about three or four years by that point. Um, 
and he was yeah he was only a young guy um probably similar sort of age to to me now actually so he's mid-30s um and he had been diagnosed with cancer years before and basically found out because he was playing rugby um because he, he was a really talented rugby player you know should have been playing for scotland and and all that sort of stuff um really really talented and he he had a bad back and being a stout scotsman um he didn't do anything about it <laughs> uh until he basically just he couldn't walk you know it was, it was that painful he was he was in the changing rooms um I remember him telling me the story that he was in the change rooms after a game of rugby um and you know, you'd always feel a, a bit battered because it's a physical game but he couldn't he couldn't stand up and he couldn't move um so he eventually went to see the, the doctor and was referred on pretty quickly um to have scans and, and um exams and all that sort of stuff and um he was unfortunately pretty pretty badly affected by um a few cancers by that point uh and he was never gonna he was never gonna live a full a full life um but he had lots of treatment um uh which you know it, it got into his bones by that point so it was lots of things that were yeah, you know, he went from being a six foot three bloke to five, five ten, five eleven kind of thing from more chemo and and radiotherapy and um, and just the cancer itself um, hitting him when he was having to have uh, dialysis uh, every week, I think it was maybe it was two weeks. Um, and he'd been. I mean, when I say he's more of a lad, he kind of was in that, you know, he was the guy that I kind of looked at and thought, oh, he's really cool. <laughs> because he had a, a fast car, so he had a sports car. Um, and, yeah, he was he was just doing what he wanted to do. He owned a pub um, and in, you know, loved, loved life, but he'd never settled down. Um and he, he eventually did uh did get married and they went away to America. Um and he was a big motorcycle guy. So one of his kind of ambitions was to do the Route 66 on the Harley. And he just finished uh kind of on the way back to the the hotel before they were coming home. And he was driving. And they just veered off the side of the road. And that was because um, he he died as he was driving back. Um, there's a few things I remember from that. Probably three main things. One was my mum, which got the news. Um... And I'd never seen mum like that, but she was, so it was mum's younger brother. So mum was, mum was the middle. Um, and she was just hysterical. 
um, you know, I, I remember trying to calm her because um, at that point I didn't, I didn't know what what happened, um, and you know, she was properly hysterical with, with grief. Um, the other thing that I that I remember in a nice way is his funeral because um, it was quite a nice funeral which is a bizarre thing to say but it was a, a happy event you know there's lots of kind of rugby folk there and, and and all that sort of stuff and there's lots of people were there um, but mum was really really struggling um, and the other thing was that I didn't cry Um, and looking back, I also didn't cry at my grand's funeral. And I can, I can kind of know why that was now, because partly there was an image in my head of a man and that men don't cry. The other side of it was that I had shoved all those emotions so far away that by the point that I got to my uncle's funeral, a man that I really respected um, and that to a certain extent I emulated and was you know, told that I would look a spitting image of and, and all of these things. But I'd shoved it so far away that I couldn't cry. Um, and then that third year at uni, I just drank. <laughs> just to, that was all I did. Um, to the extent that I probably made myself quite ill, really, um, with it, put on a lot of weight, um, and just really bad kind of habit. Um, through that time and it probably didn't help that one of my friends mums had, had died um in the kind of middle of that third year who used to live across the road and that just kind of added into things really um and then i i literally can't remember anything apart from those life events um do you mean because you kind of blocked them out or because of the alcohol or or both so both um so there was definitely a part of it that was alcohol based so i just yeah there was a lot i mean uni is lots of drinking anyway it doesn't need to be just to be clear but that's what certainly was the the dumb thing back then um and really more so that by locking away emotions what what i didn't realize because i didn't even know that i was doing it at that point i didn't i didn't really understand that i'd not dealt with anything but by not 
but by not understanding what was going on and by not um, doing the work to deal with that stuff, uh, you also lock away memories. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, lots of my friends will tell stories about our childhood. Um, and I, although I, I'm told I was there, can't remember it cannot remember it at all and that kind of went on for for years really the next big thing that I then remember is that my my friend had a massive car crash um, and I got the call uh, in the morning um, to say that he was in ITU yeah, and it's only these things that I remember I kind of plodded along with life for for years, um, and I I went back to uni, and so I I worked in banking to start with. Um, I literally walked into um, a bank one day and said, "Have you got any jobs?" Because <laughs> I was bored of what I was doing it working in uh, working in game stores. <laughs> as a customer service manager because that was their grad that was their graduate scheme um <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh, yeah started off and, and and did really well and became became very good at that job um built up a a kind of my own business really within within what they were what they were selling um and then I just, I got bored of it really. So I went back to uni and did my, did my legal studies um, and <laughs> went into law and thought the law was going to be my, my thing, my, my kind of passion, I guess. Um, but also it was something that my, mom and my gran had both said that I'd be really good at and that's probably true because I did well in my exams and stuff and and all that but I encountered some pretty pretty difficult people um to put it nicely uh working in that profession and one one guy in particular was just he was just a, a bully it's just who he was yeah he he just he wanted to be the only the only person that that had a say in all these things um and i just couldn't deal with that so i rather than just leaving that that job and, and going into a, a different firm i i just quit law completely um and that's again something that that i've my reactions to things tend to be significantly more than they really should be um, why do you why do you think that is do you have you any thoughts on it now in reflection yeah so i think a lot of it is linking back into that how you deal with trauma um and how you deal with things uh, growing up. If you if you've got a load of stuff bottled up, which I still do now, um, 
much more able to talk about it now. There's still loads of stuff that I need to work through. Um, and I think when you've got that there, without you knowing it, it doesn't take much just to tip that scale the wrong way. So something that would be, I think we've all got this to a certain extent, where we've all got a certain level that we'll go to. It's a bit like that game um, Buckaroo. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you're stacking stacking all these things up and you're taking taking all these different things on and some will be great and some will lessen the burden and some will be just weighing you down that bit more um and there is only so much that anyone can take and what might be something really little to somebody else that's had a pretty straightforward or easy or simple life whatever you want to call it and hasn't had things that they've had to deal with because you know as we say there are plenty of people that have still got their grandparents um which is amazing um but if you haven't had to go through that particularly when you're younger in your formative years you've just got you've got more flex in what you can can deal with compared to somebody that has had those things and hasn't dealt with them i think actually if you've dealt with those things when you're younger you're then more able to deal with them when when you're when you're older um but it's the not dealing with stuff that that has caused caused me big reactions um and that was one yeah i I, and the banking one was the same that there's a bloke that i who just went against my moral compass so i quit banking and went into law <laughs> and then there's one in the law who went against my moral compass so i quit law <laughs> and then went back into banking um, <laughs> yeah it's the controlling the things you can control i guess as well isn't it yeah definitely there's definitely an element of that because you don't have the control particularly particularly when you've had what is essentially a form of abuse and i think when when people say they've been bullied it's almost it's almost watering down what's really happened that that is a form of abuse and if you've been through that and hopefully most people haven't but if you've been through that and a sustained period of that in particular that changes who you are or at least who you allow yourself to be because you have to put mechanisms and you know i i work in a kind of um a risk environment these days and it's all about controls so you've got you've got something that can go wrong so therefore we do this to to prevent it or to lessen it and it's the same thing that you do as a as a human being but you put in different um barriers or you put in different you know, in my case separation off of of emotions um and you do that to get by um and you don't entirely understand that and i definitely didn't at that age um and you probably don't understand it until 
a significant enough event happens that you're forced to look at it. Is that something um, that happened to you? Yeah, so I I came across a guy that he was just one of those people that was inspiring. Um and someone I I not not even wanted to work for, I had to work with him. Because he was just this person that everything about him again i just wanted to be like him he he was just one of those people that you just don't meet that often um a really special person um unfortunately i did um and you know we we worked together um pretty closely for uh, about a year and a half um and he, you know, he was a happy guy, had a, had a young family and, and everything. And we were split between um, Birmingham and, and London at the point. So, you know, I'd go down to London, he'd go down to London and uh, likewise come up here. Um, and he was, he was due in um, in the London office one day. And you know, I'd been chatting to him the night before just normal conversations work conversations about um stuff that was going on and i, I needed his his help on some things um it was just something that i didn't come across and he was um kind of communicating via email as i was on the train back um and everything seemed normal and he was saying that let's catch up Let's catch up on this tomorrow. Um, yeah, as as you often would. It's a completely normal, normal kind of thing. Then tomorrow came. And I had a really weird call. Um, it was from one of my London colleagues. I just asked him where he was, which was a bit odd. And yeah, they. He'd, he'd been <laughs> he's one of those people that he always had a story so there was always there was always something that that um that he'd kind of turn into a funny story um so i was like wow he's probably just missed the train or or something or he's spilled his coffee down his shirt again and and um let's go and buy a new one um i'll i'll try and try and get hold of him on, on my side and you try yours and then the kind of day went on a little bit. And if I'm honest, I kind of forgot to a certain extent that um, he wasn't, uh, he hadn't arrived anywhere. And I just noticed, so I was talking to one of my colleagues, that some of the senior people were looking just a little bit more worried than they normally would. Um, and in a different way to what they normally would do. And we were all asked to, to kind of come around because there was an announcement to be made. And that announcement was that um, my boss had, had died suddenly. 
And I remember that point very, very clearly because it was like everything went from full colour to grey. Like the atmosphere went from open and lovely to a kind of squashing force pushing down on me. And I was stood by um, one of my colleagues who worked with closely um, was being in the team. And she just turned around and, and kind of hugged me. And I had a ridiculous thought because I could feel that I was, um, I was going to cry. And I said in my mind that you can't cry because men don't cry and professionals don't cry. So I quickly excused myself um, and went off to the, to the, the bathroom and I did cry, broke down crying, um, and then kind of pulled myself together and, and went on about went on about life. Um, and yeah, weeks went by, and we we never heard how he died. Um, and then one day I got a call from a colleague. Um, who was down in London that found out um, and they kind of asked, yeah, do you, do you want to know? I said, yeah, well, yeah, I, I kind of, I, need, I needed to know. Um, and yeah, he, he had died by suicide. And this is a guy that, yeah, I, I wanted to be, <laughs> I just, he was just one of those people who was, if you're going to emulate anyone, he was who you'd em emulate. And I remember feeling an incredible sadness because it was just very sad that that's, that's what happened, that it got to the point where um, that's, that was the, the only thing left for him sadness for his family as well because they were without a dad and a husband um, and guilt masses masses of guilt why did I not spot it why did I not do something about it why didn't I ask more questions check in with him more all these different things that, you know, are stupid, they're daft, because one, I didn't. <laughs> and there's a reason that I didn't, because he was outwardly fine, happy, actually. Um, you know, he'd just been on a, on a fitness craze got really into shape again and we were talking about how we was going to play rugby again and and all that sort of stuff and 
and yeah, it just he was in a good place. At least that's what it seemed like. And you know, we went to the funeral, and um, it was actually quite a nice funeral because it was a lot again, lots of rugby people there because he was he played a lot with the local club when he was younger. Um, and yeah, the kind of songs that were chosen were all kind of upbeat and, and everything. Um, but that was a that was the first of two events that forced me into thinking. And what I should also say was that was a month after I'd gotten married. So the kind of guilt element wasn't just down to, you know, kind of feeling guilty because I should have done something, but it was also because I was super happy. And genuinely, I was really happy at that point in my life. I just got married to the love of my life. Um, and it was an amazing day, and you know, we were still riding that that high. Um, and then that happened. And I, there was a bit of anger in there because I was thinking why um but then also guilt because when i was going home yeah it wasn't the the kind of honeymoon period after getting married that we should have been having i was very depressed very depressed um and then yeah honeymoon was the month after um, and I was best man at my one of my best friend's weddings um, and yeah I just wasn't on form to the extent I, I nearly nearly dropped out um, and that's that's kind of tough to to deal with um, and then one of our family friends also then then died then my uncle then died um, and that was kind of a bit of a snowball effect over the next few years and you know I kind of adjusted the mask that I'd put on um rather stupidly so looking back at it now because you know the 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 world in that sense of our team was was literally falling apart in front of my eyes people had left as a, as a result of that um people had not moved up to birmingham um uh, as a result of it and everything was changing um, but I just put this mask back on and just carried on with life my son arrived just 
before the year anniversary. Um, and I remember, I remember kind of thinking, how could a dad do that? Um, and then feeling really guilty because why wasn't I just enjoying that moment, holding my son for the first time? Instead, I was thinking about what happened. And that kind of cycle carried on for years. Um, and that's about five, six years ago now. Um, and it was just one of these stream of events. Um, my son was born at the start of September in 2017. And then my... Um, my mum was diagnosed with um, with breast cancer uh, a couple of months after, which is is difficult, <laughs> um, really difficult. Yeah, she she had a very aggressive form of of that. Um, and sadly, it, it, it spread already to her lymph nodes. So she had lots of chemo and radiotherapy and um, surgery and all that sort of stuff. I kind of thought that it, we cracked it. Um, and there's a photo of mum holding Albs. Uh, so my son's called Albus, which tells you a lot about me. Um, in the, I grew up with the Harry Potter books. Um, <laughs> Good old even Dumbledore. Though, exactly. Even though my wife actually chose the name, she she's never read Harry Potter, um, and had no idea that that was <laughs> that was a character. It, she didn't know it was character. a character. No. That's um, crazy. That's a, yeah. that's a sure sign, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I I just very quietly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> very quietly just um let that one go yeah yeah so. <laughs> just a little silent punch into the air yes <laughs> yeah. um and it was actually in the the delivery room so it was a bit of a brutal um delivery and uh, emergency c-section that um more had to go through and that was very scary um yeah. the guy in the um just out just after so they had to take a, take Alps off to get checked out for numerous reasons. Um, <laughs> and Sarah said their name to, to the guy. Uh, and he said, oh, Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> and that was the first the first moment. I was like, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it really suits him. Um, Oh, name. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it is Albus McIntyre Clark is his full name, which I think is quite a strong, um, a strong name for you. That's a strong a superhero boy. name, if any I've heard. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, he, he does like superheroes. Um, but yeah, like, he, he, he's, he's a good, he's a good boy. Um and a really bright, loving, caring boy. Actually, some of that 
so that probably comes from yeah he so he only knew my mum as being ill so yeah one year one years old he had no clue he was a big michelin michelin man sized baby <laughs> um and then yeah the mum deteriorated uh quite substantially um and you know kind of lost parts of the mum as as we went along really because it um the cancer spread to her brain and for anyone that's that's experienced that um you'll probably understand what i'm saying in that that's the most peculiar type of grief because throughout that experience it's almost like you're constantly grieving for something you've lost yeah the first thing is that you're your mum who you saw as invincible because you do with your parents mm. um you realize that they're not and then you know mum mum actually shaved her hair off in the end um she was a bit of a, a bit of a rebel my mum mm-hmm. <laughs> um but uh, yeah that was another thing very physical thing that, that was a change and then it was that she couldn't walk so she was wheelchair bound and that just kind of kept on going to the point that um mom died um that was on christmas morning mm. um 2019 so just before covid <laughs> Um, and I didn't even deal with that. Mm. I didn't even cry then. Yeah. But that was the time when I realised that something was... I would say something was wrong with me. <laughs> I know that's not the, it's not the way I should be saying it, but that's how I felt at that time, that something was broken. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at myself. Um, and it was also the first time that a doctor listened to me. Um, and the doctor had cared for, for mum. And, yeah, I, I did all the kind of practical stuff with, with mum dying, so helping out with all the all the finances and make sure everything was was sorted um and that you know just all the legalities and all that type of stuff that you don't even think about but have to deal with um and i spoke at mum's funeral and somehow got through that um still don't know how um and then I started a new job at work. So it was a newly created team and um you know, we just we were just completely new. Uh 
and I kind of came into that. And one of the first thing I said to my team was that I have got something going on um, in that my mum has just, my mum has just died. And I'm struggling. But I want to make sure that you are all looked after and that you are all able to be the best in what you can be. And it was a really interesting reaction I got. And this was a team that I hadn't hired. So I, I they, they had been hired just before I started. So I hadn't even interviewed. Um, and immediately it created um, an atmosphere of being able to speak about things. And it also created something that meant that they wanted to help. They wanted to come into work. And that put us in a really good shape for what was about to be for everybody one of the most difficult periods that any of us have ever faced, I think, in that COVID-19 came along. Mm. Um, and we all suddenly got this, right, you're all working from home. So we're all very lucky in that you know, we work for a big organisation and and uh, we were kept in jobs, uh, unlike a lot of people. Um. And we all just had to suddenly start working from home. We would be in the office uh, pretty much every day. I'd taken two days off, which was for mom's funeral, um, and threw myself into work. Again, just trying not to deal with it, focus mm. on something else. Um, and then person that I was working with for wasn't wasn't the right person to be working for um, he made my life hell really um, which I've told him um, and throughout that lockdown period I had I was at home, so my wife was working on the front lines in the NHS. Um, so I was trying to look after a two and a bit year old. Mum um, had just died. COVID-19 had hit. We were all having to lock down, worrying about everyone. Was worrying about my dad. Um, he just lost his childhood sweetheart. They'd been together since they were teenagers um and my my grand my dad's mom um had also just died albeit she was 99 so she <laughs> she had a pretty a pretty good life so you, know, you can you can comprehend that a bit a bit easier but still um and we couldn't go and see him so all those things going on and this is where you really understand why being kind, being caring, being compassionate, having empathy, 
are much more important than having a high IQ or being able to do a particular skill. I can I can teach anybody to do something. That's really easy. It's just a case of going right. This is these are this is how you break it down. We keep on doing it until until you've got it and, and understand that you've developed that that skill. But being empathetic, being compassionate, being a loving person, and <laughs> loving is something that we should all show in the work in the workplace. It is something that we should show to our teams because the thing that we've got to remember is that we're all human beings and if you separate out anything that you're leaving at home kindness compassion caring for your fellow people being empathetic being able to metaphorically put your arm around somebody and and make sure that they're okay if you leave that at home what are you bringing to work you might get something done, but you're doing it out of the detriment of other people. And no yourself, amount of I imagine. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and unfortunately, the the guy that I worked for was was that person. He he was let's get it done, not not let's do it the right way. Um, and yeah, it's probably a an element of pressure that that he was under and and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that I did that not many other people did, I didn't let any of that pressure go to my team. Mm. Because why? Why would I? (laughs) Why would I make somebody's life more difficult when actually if I want people to be able to do the things that we need them to do, you build people up. Mm. There's something that I was listening to the other day when, and they were talking about the the burning platform. Basically what this is, is that if you put somebody on a burning platform or a platform rather, and you set it on fire, they will find a way of, of escaping before that burns away and they essentially fall to their death. Now, that's one way of doing it, and that's through fear, because that's what you're generating, by right? you're, you're creating fear to get something done. And that will get something done in a certain way. Or you can use, still use fire, but use it in a different way, in that you can have somebody put in a basket, a big balloon alongside them, with the fire going, and it will blow up this balloon and you'll float off both escaping but one is in a way that's taking that person safely and taking that person um on a journey that is the right thing to do and being empathetic with it and the other is by saying well do or die and I know that I respond to one much better than the other. Mm. Um, and 
within that environment, I was obviously already pretty, pretty torn up inside. Um, I'd started speaking to therapists, um, put on medication for depression and anxiety at that point. Um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um, for a variety of events through my life that I've talked to. Um, but because of that person, I was as close since I was 16 to, to not being around. Um, I'd planned what I was going to do, um, how, when, where, etc. Um, and that was to take my own life. And I'd been having suicidal thoughts for quite a while, actually. Um, I just hadn't admitted it to anybody at that point. Um, and on one particularly hideous day, I kind of started down that path. But very fortunately, and I still don't know why, still don't know why I picked the phone up. Um, but I did um, pick the phone up to my GP. Um, and got through, they made sure that I spoke to the person I'd be dealing with. And I then was signed off um, and had really intense therapy. Um, and I didn't work for about three months. Mm. I felt massively guilty about that. Because um, my team had been through a lot, you know, They'd lost relatives from COVID. And I'd looked after them all. Um, actually spoke to one of them recently. Um, and he was thanking me for, for that time, which I think is a bit strange, <laughs> but lovely um, that, that he thought that he needed to, which he didn't, because I'm very much of the opinion that you never need to thank somebody else for being kind. It's just who we should be. Um, and yeah, lots of lots of therapy, um, lots of facing um, some of these things that were coming up. Um, I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts. So the therapy was focused on that. It was all over Zoom. <laughs> so it was slightly bizarre. Um, and I had a really bizarre treatment uh, which is based on uh, your rapid eye movements. Uh, but you can't do that over Zoom, so we had to use a slightly different technique of tapping. Um, it's all about allowing your um, your traumatic thoughts to be processed, basically. So it puts you kind of into a state of, of um, the REM stage of sleep, which is your processing stage. Um, and eventually got back into work. It was still under that same guy, but I was in a position where I could face him a bit more. Um, 
and I told him exactly what he'd done. Um, and that helped. And then, you know, kind of moved on and and I don't have anything to do with him now because I made that happen. Um, but it has also led me to talking about it. Mm, yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm really privileged in that I'm able to talk about it because you know my boss that isn't here now, he can't talk about it. Um and you know, I, I still go to therapy. I still see a psychiatrist and a psychologist. I'm still on a lot of medication. Um and the thing is that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I was, if I'd broken my arm, which I did when I was nine, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you'd go to the hospital and you'd get whatever you needed, plaster, cast or whatever, and you'd get pain meds. So why wouldn't you do the same thing for your, your mental well-being? Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's brought me through to talk at different events. So I do... I do different public speaking, talking about um, my experiences and, and how that can help other people. Um, and I've got a few goals. Um, one is to do more in that space um, and host different events and, and build that out because I think having, having more male voices um, talking about this will help uh particularly when you look at suicide rates um mm -hmm. although females are more likely um, statistically to have um depression uh, in particular uh the male suicide rate is something like 75 percent higher um and is the highest um mortality rate for men between the age of 25 and 49 it's which crazy. is crazy yeah yeah really 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 crazy um so i do that in a few ways i i i do a lot in work so i still work for a big organization that's a really good platform to be able to do that um so i was on international men's day doing a, a talk in, in front of thousands of people um which was slightly scary but good fun um and i like you I, I host my own podcast so i i share i share what what i've got going on um and have amazing guests on to to hear what what they've got uh, and it's all about bringing out a conversation and having a safe place to do that because i certainly my experience was that not having a place to talk and actually being able to know that that place was somewhere that I could go and be with my thoughts and understand them and do something with them. Not having that made it more difficult for me. Um, so if I can create a space um, and a platform to allow people to, to do that, then I'm going to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, thank you so much for creating this platform. And 
because you know I've listened to a few of your episodes as well and your podcast is called The Safe Place as well for anybody listening which I'll link in the show notes below but Gavin talks as you can hear in this openly and vulnerably uh, about your own story and through sharing your own story like you said you're helping other people you're kind of not that we need permission as such but it does kind of give that permission that we haven't allowed ourselves to to have all our lives to really go yeah. into our own story yeah and and hear that well we're not alone as well that's another massive one and I guess the importance of talking so as we're kind of rounding up this episode what is it that you would like to I guess share what kind of advice do you have for people out there who are struggling with their emotions or struggling with something and they don't even know it's their emotions you know maybe they've buried them deep down what advice do you have for those people so there's a few things the the first one is to sit with it particularly if you're someone like me and you have not actually confronted any of this stuff that you've got going on you need to allow yourself to sit with it um and there's different ways you can do that um so i do i do some mindfulness practice which i'm rubbish at but it's a way of doing it and you know we don't even have to go into it and be super um super into it doing try thinking that we've got to do like an hour's worth if you can do 30 seconds of mindfulness you're doing really well <laughs> you're winning it, you're difficult. doing it aren't you yeah yeah um so sitting with it um and the way i would do that is lay down somewhere in a quiet space make sure you're comfortable just lie down somewhere um put your phone somewhere else that's a fairly important thing and if you've got a watch like me, which is going to be buzzing away at yourself, put that away as well. Make sure it's a properly quiet space and just listen to your thoughts. Listen to them, acknowledge them, you know, metaphorically say hello to them and then just let them glide on. And getting into that practice, it sounds like something that's really, really simple. But try and do it for five minutes and you'll realize that actually it's really difficult to not attach onto those thoughts and it's a way of training yourself to be aware of what's going on but also to let go yeah and it's that letting go that is really important so that's one the other one is um a kind of health side of things be as active physically active as you are able to to be um and this is coming from somebody that um isn't as active as i used to be and i know that my um mental health space suffers as a result of it unfortunately i'm I'm waiting for a surgery to to happen um so i'm restricted somewhat but just by being more active and doing more things you'll find that you're giving yourself the best opportunity to be able to deal with things because by being more active and particularly by being outside and being more active you have more energy and again the thing that we don't often realize is that thinking takes a lot of energy 
Mm, yeah. Really difficult to do. Properly thinking about stuff. It's really hard. Anyone that's ever been to um, to a therapy session will know that you are knackered after it. Um, so give yourself the best opportunity by being active to have more energy to be able to deal with these things. And the big one is, and I know this is difficult to do, but it is to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um and there's different ways you can do that. There's um, a more insular way, which is um, mostly referred to as journaling. Um, and for those that, that wonder what journaling is, it's it's writing stuff down. Um, and having that as a way of putting your emotions out somewhere um, can be a useful method. Um I'm not that great at that personally. I, I actually, I actually use these these types of conversations more than anything else um, mm. to to do that. Um, if you're able to talk to a friend about it, then your friends will understand. You'll be surprised at how much people understand. And if you need somebody else, then there are lots of different resources that you've got um about the place it might be in worst you've got you've got um a health scheme use it you've got a gp some are better than others i'm aware but keep at it um and the other thing about it is i am now on my third therapist and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, because um, they each do slightly different things. So the first one was just me talking to somebody about grief because mum just died. Then it was, okay, there's a, there's a bit more to this. Um, so I need to speak to somebody else um, and having specific treatment. And that was useful for that period. Um and then there's the one that I'm now seeing. And actually, if you think about it, it's actually, I'm seeing two people. So I'm seeing a, a psychiatrist and a, and a um, psychologist. Um, so there's actually four people that I've been speaking to, plus my GP. So that's five, probably different GPs, mm. six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah it starts it starts to unfold and what you'll find with all these different conversations is that one you'll be able to share more with some people than you can with others and that's okay but also you'll have a different relationship and bond and understanding with some people than others and that's completely natural so if the first one doesn't quite work out i know it can be really difficult but try not to let that stop you seeking further help um and of course you've got great lines like the the samaritans you've got uh charities like mind um who are all really really great um macmillan um care are a fantastic resource as well so there's loads of resources out there it's all about taking that first step and once you take that first step it's then taking the second step and just taking it step by step by step 
rather than thinking, right, I need to be fixed now. Because mm. that's just not how it works. It's an ever-unfolding yeah. journey, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. Well, so yeah. Yeah, well, that's really great advice. Thank you, because you're keeping, you know, like you're sharing there, it's it's really about the sort of, it's it's about the simple things of listening to ourselves, seeking the support that we need and being active is massive getting out in nature is massive and it's really yeah. these things that you can incorporate into your everyday life and like you said and I know people can find it difficult as well when they go and seek a therapist and they don't for some reason they don't they don't resonate with them it doesn't work for them and it can be very hard to try again but like you said there and and really just to, I guess to add that we are all humans and we all have different energies and we we just we do we vibe with different people don't we and certain types Ooh. of therapy may work for you more than somebody else so really please keep going everybody so um gavin as we're you know just at the end of the podcast here where can our audience find you so best place is um through the safe place podcast so you'll find that on every single possible podcasting site but the main ones being apple amazon and um whatever the other one is spotify that's the one thank you <laughs> I always forget that one because I use I I, I do it through um, their other platform, which is Anchor. Ah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you'll find you'll find that it's a beautiful blue black uh, background with uh, the wee house on the front. Um, Lovely graphics. Yeah, I, I made that myself. <laughs> <laughs> More skills. <laughs> These are the things that you randomly do um, yeah. and learn. Um, and also on Instagram, so uh, that's even easier. You've got me, which is at I am Gavin Clark, and that's Clark with an E. So if you search for that, you'll find me. So if you want to hear hear more from me, and I share variety of different things um, on there, then there's all sorts of things that you can get involved with. Um, so yeah, please go and, and like and follow and, and share. Lovely. Thank you. I'll link all this in the show notes below as well. And uh, yeah, I just want to say another massive thank you for coming on the podcast, Gavin, and sharing your story so openly and vulnerably. I think it's uh, going to be very powerful for people. So thank you. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Hey, everybody, before you go, I have recorded a surrender meditation, which is perfect for anyone who is feeling a lot of resistance in their life, feeling tension in their body and struggling to relax and find calm. It is also great for you if you're feeling lost, directionless, maybe as though you lack purpose, and is a short recording that you can use every day to release this tension and learn to go with the flow. If you'd like to receive this, all you need to do is write an honest review about the podcast, screenshot this review and send it to rebeccaguy at live.co.uk and I will send a meditation straight over to your inbox. Everything will be linked in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed the episode and see you next week.